You were distracting them. I think they had more than one distraction. <laughs> oh, wow. Isn't that gorgeous out there? I keep telling people that uh, don't have a lot of experience up here that sunshine in the winter is absolutely glorious. So much more than summer. We have so much sunshine in the summer. It's like, ah, you know. <laughs> I wish it'd get dark. Um, at least that's what a lot of people think. I, I need to sleep. I wish it'd get dark. But uh, in the winter, the sunshine is absolutely glorious. Well, we are starting a new quarter and a new series of lessons today. And this series of lessons is parables. We're going to be talking about four different parables. And the parables are talking about kingdom truths, things that we really need to know and understand about God and his kingdom and, and how things work in his kingdom, because there's some, there's some absolutes about the kingdom of God. And it's important that we understand those. And our lesson today is on and about two debtors. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 7. The whole context of this lesson is Luke 7, 36 through 50. And if you have your student handbook you had been working through sections of the lesson hopefully it's not sitting on the shelf with your bible gathering dust but luke 7 and verse 47 is our key verse and i want to read that for us right now wherefore i say unto thee her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Jesus talking about the difference between the two main characters of this story. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us to receive. Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to look at your word today, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to know and understand truths from your word and truths about your kingdom and how it applies to our lives. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Forgiveness is related to our love for Christ or the depth of our love for Christ. This entire chapter, Luke chapter 7, full, full of, oh my goodness, how many sermons could you get out of chapter 7 of Luke? So many, even our little concise section from 36 to 50, there's, there's several messages in there and several directions that you can go. But <clears throat> starting at the beginning of chapter 7. I just want to give a little bit of history that leads up to the opening of our story. Um, the centurion who sent 
leaders of the city. This centurion was popular in his city. And the leaders, the Jewish leaders, he sent them to Jesus and saying that my servant is sick. And could the Lord pray for him, heal him, heal my servant. And Jesus did that very thing. He, but he went to the centurion. The centurion said, came out to meet him and said, no, 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 you don't have to come to my house. I understand how this works. I'm a leader. I tell somebody to do something and they do it. And if you just say, then I know it will happen. You don't have to come. God wants us to speak out and then follow the direction of what needs to happen. And then right after that happening, that healing, that miracle, Jesus leaves and he goes to a small community or the small community of Nain. And as he's coming into the city, what happens? He meets a procession. Now, this isn't a happy procession. This is a funeral procession. And there with the procession is the woman weeping. The mother, the widow, and her only son is the one in that casket. And in Jewish culture at that time, that was her only means of a living. That was her support. That was in a box being carried to his final resting place. And Jesus, she didn't say a word. Jesus perceived what was happening, knew her heart, knew her situation, and said, oh, no, we can't have this. And he speaks to the man and says, rise up. Come out of that. Put him down. <laughs> Let him get out of there. Let him go and take care of his mother and take care of himself and have a fullness of life. Coming away from that miracle, Jesus is traveling again. And John, in prison, sends his disciples, two of them, to ask Jesus, are you the one? Or are we supposed to look for another? Now, that's the John that baptized Jesus in the river, and the Spirit descended like a dove and talked to them, the two of them, and say that this is my son in whom I am well pleased. 
And then John turns around from that very instance right there, and he looks at his disciples, and he said, this is the one, follow him. So he, was, he already knew who Jesus was. And Jesus' purpose, and John in another verse had said that there's coming one that I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes. But look what Jesus says about John here. He says that after he tells the disciples, he says, you, you, there's a lot of miracles that happen. And then you go tell John that the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the dead are raised. All of these things that Jesus had just done, go tell John all of this. That this is what God is doing right now. God is doing this right now. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and says, There isn't a prophet greater than John. A ministry this long. Just, just this long. Little bitty. In comparison to the Elijah and the Elisha and, and all of the prophets that you could read about in the Old Testament, John has a very small ministry. Only one thing. He pointed people to repentance and a baptism of repentance. And he pointed out the importance of a change in our lives in that repentance. He would tell the Pharisees, oh, no, no, no. You, you go back and show me that you're different. <laughs> because I'm not going to baptize you until you have fruits of repentance, until there's proof that your life has changed. And so this is what is happening before we get to verse 36. And I believe that this is why this one Pharisee, Pharisee named Simon, ran out to Jesus and said, Hey, come to my house. I want to have a party. And the crowd that was with Jesus came with Jesus to Simon's house. And that's where our story starts. Simon is so curious. He wants to know, what? what is this really? Can we believe this? Can we count on this? Can we? How, how do we look at this? And he wants to see what Jesus is all about. And so he brings him into his house. And, and this isn't planned. This is very impromptu. You get the impression that the servants are not prepared. And this isn't with all the pomp and circumstance that we're used to reading about the Pharisees. And if you study them, everything is very, very precise. You know, you, you, walk, you, you, you walk in your house and this happens, and then you take three steps this way. I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but not very much. <laughs> 
They, they, they had a very precise procedure that they went through when they were getting ready to eat. But you don't hear about any of that here. And as a matter of fact, as you read through into the story, you realize that the very first thing that was supposed to happen when you had a guest at your home got skipped. The party has started. Jesus has been rushed in to the table. And the servants are scrambling. And they're getting something together to feed how many, it doesn't say how many people came, but there were crowds with Jesus wherever he went. And he had just healed many right before the Pharisee invited him in. They're eating. And they're visiting. And they're learning this and that about each other. And a woman comes in. And she comes just quietly in to the feet of Jesus. You see, Simon wasn't the only one that had heard about Jesus. The Bible never says where this woman met the Lord, but she heard about him. She knew what he was capable of, and she also knew who she was. And Simon doesn't say if he really knew her or not, but there was something obvious about her. And she falls at the feet of Jesus and begins to weep. Because Jesus, at some point in time in her life, she had maybe seen him in a distance. Maybe they had had an interaction. It doesn't say. Scripture doesn't say. But she had this drawing to come to him. She knew she wasn't worthy. She knew that there was nothing good about her. But she snuck in and fell at his feet, weeping and worshipped him. And Simon <gasps> folds his precious garments around himself and doesn't really say anything. But, oh, Jesus knows. Verse 39, now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, the woman that had come in and was at the feet of Jesus, he spake within himself, saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would he know who this was? Would he know what she was? 
Yes, he did. He knew all about her. But you know who else he knew all about? That Pharisee that had wrapped himself up in his robes and was being all self-important. I am all this. And I have done every little thing. Every little thing. And Jesus tells a story. He said, there are, there are two debtors. This one, I'm going to ad-lib these amounts, okay? This one owes $5,000 to the master. And this one only owes 50 And the master came, and oh, he had mercy, and he forgave them both. And Jesus looked Simon in the eye, and he said, who's going to love the master more? Well, okay. Well, of course, the one who was forgiven the 5,000. Fifty's not much. In reality, neither amount was a whole lot. But it was pointing out that oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, if we feel like that there is only this much to be forgiven, Just this much to be forgiven. Just a little bit. Compared to that woman who had this much to be forgiven. That was the perception that was seen and that Simon perceived from the parable that Jesus had put out there, which one is going to love more? Now, when we look at, when we look at ourselves, and we know and, and we understand that there is sin in this world because Romans says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But when we look at sin, this is what we do. Oh, uh, I, I only have this much sin. And... Oh, that one. Or it could be, oh, I have so much sin in my life. So much. How on earth is God going to ever forgive this? Yeah. 
But just as in this story, Jesus saw what was really on the inside. He knew everything about that woman. And it was all forgiven. It was all gone. But yet the Pharisee, Simon's perception of himself was, oh, I've been been so good since I was this high. I've studied the word. I've learned. I've become this Pharisee. And I have obeyed all of the rules. There's a lot of Pharisees in Scripture that say that. Not just Simon. I have done it all. I've obeyed. And they cannot see what their true inside is. They cannot see what their real picture is. In verse 44, Jesus turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into your house and you didn't Give me water so that I could wash my feet. You know what should have happened? Not that water was given to Jesus to wash his own feet. A servant would have been there to wash his feet. But it didn't happen. But she... hath washed my feet with tears. She is washing, she's washed my feet with her tears and she has wiped them dry with her hair. That was what she had. And thou gavest, speaking to Simon, verse 45, thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. Now we could say, oh, that's so, uh, couldn't do that. But you know what this was? This was all of the worship pouring out of her heart all of the thanks and praise and worship for what God is getting ready to say. She already felt it. She knew there was a change in her life. And my head with oil thou didst not anoint, 
But this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. She never raised herself above his feet, but she gave Jesus more than that Pharisee that had dedicated his entire life to God had ever given. And he had failed the steps of bringing a guest into his home. And it wasn't just any guest. It was God Almighty. That here in this situation read who Simon was. Read the inside. And Jesus also read and knew and understood the woman who couldn't even raise her head to him. But she gave him everything. Now where did a woman who was a harlot get an alabaster box. A very precious box. Well, it was part of her job. I know that sounds terrible. But she was in the business of allurement. So much so that Simon knew who she was or what she was as soon as she walked in the door. And she had this perfume that maybe she had used to allure others. But notice how she approached him. She was abased. She was bowed down. She wouldn't even look the Lord in the face. And she went to his feet and she had this box. It was part of her earnings. It was a part of her job, what she had. But that's not what happened first. When she got to his feet and felt the touch in her life, she could only weep. She could only offer what was inside of her. And when we come to Jesus, whether it's this that she brought or that that Simon felt he was bringing 
and wanted to know about the Lord, he brought him to his home to learn more about him and learn more about these miracles and who Jesus was. He was curious. But he wasn't ready to give himself. He just was curious. He thought he was already good enough. He thought he knew God. He had worked really hard to be in his way, in what he knew, and what he had been trained in his religiosity. He had jumped through those hoops his whole life and just curious, oh, who's this? Is this another prophet? Oh, no, he can't be another prophet because he doesn't know who that woman is. If he was a prophet, he would know. Verse 47, looking at it again. Wherefore, I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Yeah, it's, it's that. I know it's that, but they're all gone. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And then Jesus said unto her, Thy sins, now he says it. She has felt it from the moment she abased herself at his feet. She knew that he understood. And she gave everything she had. She gave of herself first. in tears and adoration. Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? They had already seen all kinds of miracles in however many much time had gone from the beginning of the chapter to right here. A day, two, three maybe. Who knows how long that was, but it was there. And they knew what Jesus had already done. But he forgives sins. And he said to the woman, thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. You see, she gave us the example of what we need to do when we bring whatever baggage of sins. You see, it could also be just, in my perception, could be just just this little thing. It could be. But it doesn't really matter. 
Our society classifies sin. Now, we, can, we classify sin just in ourselves. We say, oh, that was just a little story. A white lie. That was just, a, a, that was just such a cute little attitude. How many little ones have, have pulled something and we had to... Because we were laughing. It was, it was cute, but really, was it? Not really. No. So we have these little things that can happen in our lives. And then those little things become a little bigger. And then you get into things that our legal system pays attention to. First, it might only just be between siblings, between the child and the parent. Maybe a little bit of a student-teacher problem, student-principal problem. You know what I'm saying. It, it, they graduate. And the problems get worse. And then you get into the legal system. And oh, you just might get a smack on the hand. Oh, that we don't have time to deal with that. Or you could get to the situation where they classify, oh, well, that, that's just a misdemeanor. Or, ooh, that's a felony. And then you get into sins that are over here in this felony stage. Or that rise up to that level in society. And how the, the, this, this world looks at them. And then you can go into all the way up to murder. And then you want to get worse than that? Someone that is put in prison for pedophile. Crimes against children. And then serial killers. And get that even worse, and it's a killer of children. In serial, I mean, you get, how big does it get? It's huge. But to God, it really doesn't matter. And you know what we need to be careful about? I need to be careful about this. I come to God and I say, Oh God, I really, I really need you to forgive me. I have done this. You see, this. Just, just this. Please forgive this. Will you forgive that? And, oh, oh yes, can you forgive this too? 
and we can start taking out of our lives the things that we're ready to ask God to forgive. But yet, Oh, God, these, these really important things. This, God, I, I've, I've got I've to keep this one. Oh, and, and this, oh, you can't have this. I, I just need to keep this really safe and hidden in my life. But you see, It doesn't matter how big the situation is that we think. It doesn't matter if we're ready to let go of it or we think, oh God, I can't let you do I can't even let you see that. God, you, you can't forgive that. It's too much. It's too big. It's horrible, God. Or, Lord, Simon, Lord, I, I, have, I have never really done anything terrible. It happens all the time. How many people in this world have done good all their lives? You probably couldn't find anybody that would point at them. I'm just going to point at me, okay? Point at them and say, oh, They haven't done anything bad. I, I've known them since they were a child. They've never done anything bad. And look, they do all of this good. I would be the last person to belittle a testimony like that. There are, thank God, there are people that God has called into his kingdom and brought them in as small children and they don't have the horrible scars that some of us have in their lives. But I'm here to say that God will forgive each and every one of them. And he's not judging how much sin that other people would judge as sin is in their lives. But when we give ourselves, this was an amazing thought as I was studying this lesson, that came out at me 
Now, maybe you already had this in your mind and you understood it ages ago. And I just needed to know this. But God does not forgive sins piecemeal. Just this one. Just that one. Oh, yeah, okay, God, you can have that one too. No. God does the whole thing. The whole thing. The whole thing. Or nothing. He has forgiven it all. All we had to do was ask. Prostrate ourselves at his feet. And she wept. She dried her tears from his feet. She kissed his feet. And then she broke open her living. She'd already given the inside. But the outside, she broke it open. And she poured it all on his feet. And you see, he does everything in one sweep. But in turn, he wants everything. It's an all or nothing. And the things that we, that are in the back, in, in this little person, the important things are here in the back. You know, the, the checkbook, the, the debit card, the, you know what I'm saying, the driver's license, those important things, or those horrible things, those things that we don't want anybody to see. Those are the things that we, God has forgiven them, but we hang on to them. And if we only understood that we just, just need to dump it all out there and just walk away. And it's all gone. It's all gone. And he wants to forgive us. He wants us to be that woman that gave everything to him. The one that everybody looked at and said, oh... You should have just kicked her away. But oh no, she loved. She loved him. And the Pharisee, oh, he was just curious. He just wanted to know, oh, who is he? What can he do? I just want to have a chat. Religiosity. We have to be careful. But today here, I don't see anyone looking at every single person here. I don't see anyone 
that is in and caught up in religiosity. I see hungry hearts that have given their lives to God. And whether it's been this much time or this much time, they're in relationship. We are in relationship with him. And we're getting ready to spend some time in worship, singing. We're going to have preaching. And Lord bless you in the name of Jesus.